D'abord, il y a cette fille dans la boîte de verre qui dit bonne nuit à demain. Sur un bout de musique, des bons hommes à l'envers, et puis après, plus rien. J'étais là à 8 heures pour les mauvaises nouvelles, elle m'a laissé tout seul avec mes envies d'elle derrière son visage, un paysage de neige, puis après, plus rien. Hello, and welcome to the 44th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. And I'm Patrick Gremion. And Don, I just got to say, you know, everyone knows I got this podcasting gig because, you know, I'm a damn hunk, you know, yeah. let's just, let's put it, put this out there. Uh, and I would... And I graduated from high school at 16. I went to all the right schools. I finished well. Yeah. You were a, I'm, I'm, you're like I'm a Southie a, kid. But I'm kind of a nerd. And you're I'm our kinda, nerd. I'm our nerd, you know. And so we're in competition for who gets to anchor this podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, and, I may have earned it by the numbers and with the with the credentials. But, you know, at the end of the day, Patrick is a charismatic hunk. I don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah, I'm, I'm a photogenic podcaster, and that's why people listen to the podcast for the hunks. No, but uh, they, they say to themselves, Ezra Klein, you might have facts, but man, what a damn hunk. Yeah, what a what a just what a himbo, Maddie Boy, Iglesias. N- nobody nobody works both sides more sexily. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Don, I would I would really a lot appreciate it if you helped me. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, these are all allusions to our, uh, I think it's fairly safe to say, an Academy Academy favorite broadcast news coming up later on in this episode. But i got to say, the Sunday Morning Boys back in town, and we're talking Brooks Brooks again this week. Ooh, yeah. Get get your slacks out, folks. Regular Brooks Brothers podcast. Safe to say, uh, Albert and James separately and together are, I think they're reaching their kind of uh, peak of their powers this week yeah it's really good i mean both of them are firing on all cylinders at what they do best in this week's two films lost in america broadcast news you know we had a spooky break last week but we are back in the mix with the brooks boys oh yeah and boy you know had you so going into it i mean we know that james l brooks coming off of terms of endearment uh as probably as big a success as uh, one could have <laughs> in the world of uh, cinema. I mean, massive, massive, gigantic hit. And also, you know, won all, all the Academy Awards <laughs> for the most part. So, you know, and then Albert Brooks, kind of um, cult figure still, I'd say at this point in his yeah. career. Like the, the comedy heads, I'm sure, are very, very hip to what he's bringing to the table. But... You know, and I think, frankly, Terms of Endearment is not a prickly movie compared to modern romance, which is, you know. Oh, yeah, that's all. That's like that's a regular porcupine of a film. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Albert Brooks brilliantly is playing with like Hollywood guys, men in general, you know, relationships. But he's he's you know, he's he's tearing the he's he's taking a bite out of all of them by doing so, which for some people, you know, want the. You know, easygoing yet tragic mother-daughter relationship <laughs> that terms of endearment brings to the table. But you know, both guys, their work is just going on all cylinders here. 
I'd say, you know, I mean, I think, you know, we said it last week, we both loved, or two weeks ago, we both loved terms, we both loved modern romance, but getting into it this week, we're, you know, we're talking, so after terms, 1983, we'll go to 1983 here in our, in our timeline, uh, <laughs> both guys, obviously, having a good time, did you know that in the same year as, um, in the same year as Terms of Endearment, Albert Brooks did um, the Twilight Zone movie. He's in the in, he's in the opening that Steven Spielberg directed with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, nice! That's the good, that's it. the that's the one you want to be in. That's the portion yeah. of that film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. maybe a cruel joke. I'll I'll cut that out. No, it's it's fine. It's yeah. it's fine. We'll survive it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we all I don't want to offend John Landis. No, oh, heaven forbid. Yeah, heaven, for, heaven forbid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, obviously a troubled production that we're not going to be covering. You know, we might, <laughs> we certainly Maybe. might. I mean, there's a lot of people involved with the Twilight Zone, George Miller, Joe Dante, Steven Spielberg, it's, who yeah. we might, you know, dabble in as things to, things come. John Landis is, you know, filmic track record up until this point, you know, it was hit after hit. Oh yeah, like too. Werewolf in London, like uh, Blue, Blues Brothers, uh, Animal House. You know, soon enough, some, uh, the work with Eddie Murphy coming to America, Trading Places. You know, I mean, these are you know top of the line comedies. Yeah, maybe me. Hey, you know, talk talk amongst yourselves how dated they are, but you know, uh, not our place in this moment because we are not covering Animal House this week. Um, but yeah, so Albert Brooks did Twilight Zone the movie, and then in 1984 he appeared in a remake of Preston Sergis's Unfaithfully Yours, which I did not realize existed huh. prior to looking this up. Uh, starring Dudley Moore and Natasha Kinski as the two leads, which uh, mm. Sounds... sounds like um sounds like a wild one but also kind of sounds like an academy academy like seal of like we should watch this film we might have to I, we might we could do like a a, a deadly more mini series that sounds very academy academy <laughs> yeah. um interestingly enough uh, co-written by Barry Levinson this oh. uh, remake uh, another academy academy fave um, but it yeah i don't know what the deal with that film is at all uh, it seems like a, lo- a truly lost in time film which uh, obviously makes me quite interested in it. Oh, <laughs> but uh, definitely well it's like the, the leads natasha kinski and dudley moore like those are actors lost in time i feel like the the average yeah. you know skateboarding teen with a yogurt wouldn't know who dudley moore is yeah and like how like strangely gigantic <laughs> dudley moore was for in america i mean he's yeah. big in the uk you know he's a uk comedian right but like that run he had when he did like arthur oh yeah you know, I mean, but frankly, you could say that the Arthur remake starring Russell Brand 20 years from now, Russell Brand might be lost in time. In yeah, the same thing, in the that same is thing so funny. Moore. Russell Brand and Dudley Moore, those are like two actors that are weirdly because they both I feel like they shine bright and like they burned like so quickly. They they both probably had like three. Each of them probably had like three movies that were bona fide hits and then they kind of just fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. And there's always like. Like Hollywood people seem really, really enchanted by uh, comedians from across the pond. Oh, yeah. um, you know, because obviously, like, I have a feeling like somebody in Minnesota all of a sudden turns on their late night television and James Corden has a show and they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, 
Hollywood does seem like we're going to put this guy who's like huge in England who no one has ever heard of. Yep. All of a sudden is in like 10 movies <laughs> or has a TV show or something. And like <laughs> the rest of America is like, this guy? Who is this guy? You know? Yeah, it's like, why is Chris O'Dowd in like 17 comedies? Yeah, and I, I mean, I like Chris O'Dowd. No, he's I do, fine, but yeah. You're, but you're right. Like, I only just watched um, the IT crowd for the first time, like, earlier this year. And I was like, oh, that's why, you know, he's like. Oh, he's great in that. Funny, everyman kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I will say the one, the one before, I only have a little bit of a grudge, not grudge, but like Chris O'Dowd, the one thing that annoys me. Is he was in Bridesmaids. How on, as, how on earth he was Irish and a police officer in like Wisconsin. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's it, this makes this only makes sense in 1937. Like he should be fighting prohibition. This is like <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Like, what side are you on in the troubles, my man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is yeah, you're helping Charlie Cox and Steve Buscemi <laughs> like <laughs> you know, yeah. move ammo to fucking cork. Yeah, it's 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 a it's very very interesting. I I actually have a feeling um, America, you know, we're already all hip to it. We think he's brilliant, but America is going to. A lot of people in the United States are going to be wondering the same thing about Matt Barry. Oh, very very shortly here because he's he's so brilliant and everyone agrees. But it's like he's going to be in everything really really soon. I think. I still think he's the funniest Englishman alive right now. He's uh, he is like. He's like magical. Is that, oh. is that a correct word for it? Like, oh yeah, he's magic. He's like, well, his like his tone and cadence is so spot on. It's just but that he seems like I don't know, like what he did on this tale. And I'm not going to spoil what we do in the shadows for anybody who hasn't seen the new ones. But um, he's brought like emotional depth to the Laszlo character that I don't think was even seemed possible even last year. <laughs> like he's, I think he's capable of everything. Like I really wow. like I I think he's like yeah I I think this he's one of these performers that like really like you could almost put anything on them he's and like I a, think that they could pull it off and yeah. it's it's really exciting I mean it's like kind of the same vibe like when like I don't know Jim Carrey started doing drama or something like that it's like oh my gosh like you you've got it whatever whatever it like or even like i mean you look at like albert brooks or robin yeah. williams or somebody like that it's like oh my gosh like i think you can do anything <laughs> like i legitimately think yeah. you could be like it's a, or like a john down. c Riley. yeah and it's really like the sky's the limit i think you, you know you read interviews with him and i think he's kind of like aware of that and fighting it off a little bit he doesn't want to like Ooh. um like throw himself into like a big like he's like I think he like likes the idea of being a scene stealer a little right. bit more and like making like he's got like 10 albums as a, like a very like traditional singer songwriter that he's that, put out. Like, wow. I, I think he like wants to live a different life than what I just presented. But I think, God, do whatever you want, my man, like just keep showing up and things and being funny and cool. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. Oh, yeah. And I, I've loved him since uh, like it's so funny. I, I've uh, I loved him since Snuffbox. Like mm-hmm. with Rich Fulcher. Oh my God. That's such a good, maybe one of my favorite British, uh, like, I don't know if it was like a sitcom or like a sketch show, just a very weird. I think he, like, he does that, that comedy thing and not a Matt Berry podcast. We'll get, we'll get to the Brooks boys in a moment, but, yeah. um, but he does that thing that they talk about in like improv where playing to the top of your intelligence better than 
pretty much everyone because he plays idiots pretty much uniformly too. Mm, yes. But he does it without like ever playing dumb. Like they're all like these like guys who think they're completely correct in everything that they're doing, despite the fact that they're usually completely wrong. And it's awesome. It's absolutely yeah. awesome. And you can also do it while being like charming. <laughs> yeah, really, really fun to watch. I mean, we all, you know, love Jackie Daytona and stuff like that, but what a showcase. I mean, just you know, and down the line, I mean, he's great on Garth Marenghi, his stuff on IT crowd. Uh, really, really fun. Like he's just funny. Yeah. The the toast of London guy. <laughs> no, you know, it's like which he's doing another one of those, Toast of Tinseltown, which is very, very like already in the title has me laughing. Oh, for real. Well, yeah, like here to hear first, folks. Don't don't watch James Corden. Watch what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, but you already knew that. Yeah, we, yeah, that's like you didn't say. Yeah, anyone who listens to our podcast that is like actively <laughs> watching that one and not the former. Yeah, uh, yeah, very weird. That's probably maybe one person. Yeah, yeah, but you know, to go back to great comedy, guys, we got Brooks and Brooks. Yeah, we're know. back. We're back, folks. We're back to back to it. So they're both kind of in an interesting place. You know, I think Albert Brooks still kind of a fringe finger, but uh, James L. Brooks clearly like as like eye on him, part of the establishment and probably like time magazine almost certainly called him like the voice of the 1980s or something like that, you know? So uh, a, a ton of pressure. Like, so, you know, he said basically like, he got very, very concerned about the spotlight that was on him. And he was like, he liked his low profile. He liked being like a writer's writer kind of guy and um, found it like increasingly difficult to work with like the spotlight on him and the pressure being on him and that kind of thing. And, you know, he said he was, he said uh, his quote was danger of being seduced into being self-conscious or being aware of your quote career that can be lethal. Um, and he was like also growingly concerned with the corporate influence on the film industry that was growing at the time and the idea of, you know, at the expense of being creative, basically. Oh, and so you could see all of these feelings, his personal feelings kind of bubbling up in what becomes broadcast news, where he, you know, trans basically the film industry to the, you know, business of the news media. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And so you know, as he's like percolating with that, because he, as we know, kind of like takes his time mm-hmm. with his stuff uh, simultaneously. Uh, you know, in 1985, Albert Brooks is going down the road. Get that down the road <laughs> <laughs> with his 1985 film Lost in America, his follow up to Modern Romance. Um, and let's get to these stats on this one mm-hmm. uh, directed by Albert Brooks. Written by Albert Brooks and Monica Johnson, once again. Um, this one came out on March fifteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Distributed by Warner Brothers, uh, made four million or budgeted four million, made ten. So uh, a little bit more successful okay. for Albert Brooks on this one. Um, co-starring, and we need to make this very clear. And this one, now we really loved in um, Modern Romance. We really liked Catherine Harold a lot. She really did a great job of putting up with Albert Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in this one, I think he has a comedic equal. Yeah. And Julie Haggerty, who plays his wife, Linda, he plays David Howard in this one. 
Uh, this one has a 97% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, consensus was a satire of American fantasy of leaving it all behind. Lost in America features some of Albert Brooks' best and most consistent writing and cultural jabs. Uh, commercial success, not a blockbuster. Um, and it won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Screenplay that year. Uh, four out of four stars from Roger Ebert and uh, listed as um, number 84 on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Laughs, top 100 c- comedy films of all time. Uh, and it's in the Criterion collection. And deservedly uh, so. And deservedly so. So uh, and this one, Albert Brooks is expanding his kind of Yes, satirical point of view from <laughs> the world of like relationships in Hollywood to the general behaviors of the bougie upper class Americans of the nineteen of the Reagan era nineteen eighties. They were once kind of growing up in the sixties and seventies. All of these characters, so they have those hippie dreams, but yeah. they all kind of like bought in by the 80s to yeah. what they they also really like their nice houses and swimming pools and you know and everything of of that elk yeah i couldn't help but be reminded of like jerry rubin uh you know being the leader of the yippies yeah uh, right. and hanging with abby hoffman in the 60s and then by the 80s you know have being a millionaire off of apple stock yeah and, he's like a wheeler know. and dealer like but... yeah yeah kind of like the way this went like even like, you know, concurrently, just a few years prior to this, there's a film, The Big Chill, which I'm a big fan of, which is kind of presenting the crossroads of all of these people who like, ah, oh, we used to hang out and smoke weed in our dorms. And we used to like protest, you know, the good things and the war against the war and for civil rights. And now it's like, man, I wonder how I'm going to feel when my company goes public. <laughs> you know yeah. What I'm and, my- yeah. And I think like Big Chill gets is kind of ambivalent whether mm. that's a good or a bad thing and i don't i think it's a little black and white to say yeah. if that's a good or a bad thing buying in or selling out yeah like, you know i mean selling out is to this day a kind of minefield of you yeah know, <laughs> I, I, I don't you know i mean and i say that as some guy who like owns the entire um discord records catalog on cd like <laughs> i'm a big like fugazi fan and like minor threat fan and like i get what Ian mckay is coming from with his kind of yeah like i think that that's even cool. like Ian mckay worked as like a college professor like yeah like there's like there's layer levels <sighs> to it I mean, as your parents would say you do have to pay rent yeah exa- <laughs> exactly yeah exactly yeah which is, although it's yeah not to say that like yeah it is actually interesting because, like, you know, my wife and I are, you know, we had, we recently, as we all know, had a baby and mm-hmm. we are pretty actively looking at like expanding our property, if you will, because we need another, you know, we want to have the baby to have a room. Yeah, rooms it's are pretty good. simple. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, we currently share a room with a baby, which you're supposed to do in the first year, but it's like you, you need to upgrade at some point. They need to like, I mean, like, think about being a kid. It's like your room, and you want, like, you know, like, yeah, you, you know, what posters are you going to put on the wall? You want to, like, 
you know, I, she, she probably doesn't want my Michelangelo Antonioni La Ventura poster up on the wall in her room. I want that up in my room. You, know? yeah, you should put that up in her room, though. Once you, you know, like I'll put up my Godard posters in her room. She'll yeah. Them. Teach, yeah. Yeah, teach them young. You know, and so like watching this movie now, I saw this a few years ago before we were in this part of our life. Right. But watching now, like looking at them look at houses and talking about that, I'm like, ooh, ooh I'm feeling this a little bit more. <laughs> oh, I feel, yeah. And it, it's funny because I'm probably more in my modern romance stage of my life, and you're like yeah. more in your, like, yeah, Almost just in America, you're kind of in a modern romance. Yeah, perpetual modern romance. But, uh, and someday uh, we'll be defending our lives. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's coming sooner than we think. Uh, Boy, how great. <laughs> on that note, how great is Albert Brooks? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's wonderful. Oh, it's like, ah, oh, God, yeah, the scope of his films. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so weird, like, how dialed in he is on all of this kind of stuff. But, um, uh, yeah. But, yeah, so basically... He's he's narrowing in on his generation, these people who, you know, probably born in the late 40s, early 50s, and now by the 80s are quote unquote adults with jobs and like trying to like they had their time smoking grass and listening to the dead. Yeah. But now they're, you know, looking to upgrade. <laughs> you know, they're they're uh should we get a should we get a hot tub kind of life? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're presented with David and Linda Howard, who are very, very typical L.A. yuppies. Uh, he works in advertising. She works at a department store, and um, they are getting ready to sell their house because he's expecting a giant promotion, mm-hmm. which <laughs> gets a vibe from the start that maybe David is overstepping on how guaranteed this promotion, <laughs> this promotion really is. Uh... <laughs> You think at first, much like um, in Modern Romance, that Linda is just kind of a, yes, dear, I'm married. I'm I'm stuck with a crazy neurotic person as my as my husband. But yeah. we don't realize that she's got a few tricks up her sleeves as well. Oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe two can play this game. <laughs> yeah, two can play this game of uh, irresponsible <laughs> neurotic <laughs> behavior. Yeah. Oh, man, that beginning, though, it is like... Um, I love how it starts off with the house at night and it does remind me, it does truly feel like for a split second, I thought it was like the cottage in modern romance. We'd like come back to like, yeah, <laughs> that little, like and almost to like the meta point too. Cause he, like, as they're traveling through the house and looking through their moving boxes, he's got this Larry King interview with Rex Reed who Rex Reed's talking about like how he likes to enjoy and watch movies. And it's almost like, Albert Brooks is like laying down the gauntlet of like, okay, you didn't like modern romance. Here we go, folks. We're yeah. going to, we're, we're, gonna... we're taking even further in our neurotic like, <laughs> yeah. energies. Oh yeah, it feels like we're like uh like we're from the point of view of a serial killer stalking through this weird un this weird packed uh, you know, this house that's kind of cluttered because everyone they're trying to move and they're yeah, slowly and... creeping through it. And so we meet them and they're in bed and he can't sleep mm-hmm. and he starts talking and you realize, oh, we got an Albert Brooks character here. <laughs> he's, oh. back and, he's back and forth. He's like negating. He's doing oh. positive. It's just everything you expect. And if you love him, you truly love about him. He's firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it was the like, opening scene. oh yeah, it was painful. I was like, that was like, I, I was nervous in the beginning because I was like, this might be. 
I was because when I was watching this, I was like, oh no, we might have reached I might have reached the point for myself personally where like this is too much Brooks. Like this yeah. might have been too, but then like we get to like the next big moment in the movie, and then you realize like more is like like this is nothing. Like we're like he's he's blowing out the world because yeah. like modern romance was a series of these wonderful like confined scenes mm-hmm. like in his apartment on the phone or like man i got great records <laughs> or um, yeah or like know, uh, should i buy this tracksuit yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like he goes to his office and you can already tell like he's more ambitious in how he's shooting the scenes like there is a, like i know that we said kubrick liked brooks but there's almost like a kubrickian like balance to how he's like shooting like the office and how it's centered and the weird colors on the wall in the office and so he goes in for what we think is his big promotion mm-hmm. and then he he is finds out that instead he's being kind of <laughs> just transferred to new york yeah <laughs> there's no um there's no and there's no real promotion in it it's just like no you get to work this account but you're not there's no real like um yeah they try to sell it as like it's the forward account it's like our biggest account that's kind of like the <laughs> angle that his like higher ups tries to sell it as but it, it it doesn't feel it feels like a slight to albert brooks yeah yeah and then um was <laughs> it brad the guy yeah. in the room with him yeah yeah <laughs> What is the guy who gets the job's name that they never show? It's like, um... Oh, Phil something? Yeah. Like, Phil, like... (laughs) Fucking Phil! Yeah, (laughs) Oh, God, it's like, yeah, Phil Mendoza. Something like that. Forget the... It was just, like, yeah. So he has a, like... All I could think about was the scene in Fight Club where Edward Norton beats the shit out of himself in front of his boss. That was, like, the level of self-flagellating that goes on in this scene. Oh! He utterly loses it. Like yeah. his boss and um, Brad have every right to call for security. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's it's a train wreck because like and the thing too, it's so funny because like for some reason I found like the bed scene like you know kind of uncomfortable and I was like oh this is tough I don't know if I can do like this the entire movie but what I figured out is it's not that like like the secret is to blow it to like the crazy extent he does. And like, this might be the funniest scene and the most uncomfortable, like, cause to me, this makes the Edward Norton fight club scene look like, like, you know, Bob Ross painting. Like I would rather be in the room with Edward Norton beating the shit out of himself. It's it's satisfying (laughs) for Edward Norton because he's getting the upper hand on his boss. Albert Brooks is losing. Oh, he's digging the hole. It's like you're watching a man drown in quicksand slowly. (laughs) Half realizing it, but still doubling down. Oh, yeah. And still like pushing hands away from him that are offering to help him. This is a mirror scene to Julie Haggerty's scene at the casino. Yeah. Later on. Wow. In terms of both them like thinking they have the upper hand, but not, but also kind of realizing they don't, but just digging a hole worse and worse and worse for themselves uh, but so basically it just blows out brooks is screaming in the hallways yeah uh it rules. security's coming he's it's, it, and he decides it's, it's kind of like if jerry Maguire's speech didn't go well <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't self-empowering at all it was just like a bad decision uh, it's like you're watching the fucking neutron star 
combust into itself like you're watching yeah. a black hole form in front of you like it's yeah. just it's so grim who's coming with me nobody's coming nobody with you, <laughs> nobody's yeah. coming it's with actually me. a reverse black hole he like pushes people away tremendously yeah. so he he goes and visits his wife at the office and after he's completely unhinged at this point it's wonderful yeah, he suggests he, he suggests the joker sex. he wants to have sex on her desk it's <laughs> yeah. not a good idea no no it's like a fucking it's like he, she works at fao schwartz basically yeah. <laughs> but he does get her to convince her to quit her job and start anew because they've got a um <laughs> they've got a hundred thousand dollars which again now that we jen and i are looking at buying property and stuff like that <laughs> Folks in the Los Angeles market, that ain't good enough. <laughs> oh no, that's that's nothing. I was I did like the I actually did like the I wanted to see what it'd be like in today, like the amount of money they had. Like it's like 120k like then is like 350k no. ba- now. We were watching even that movie, The Night House, that new horror movie. We watched that last night, which I recommend. But um she's looking at properties even in that, and Jen just screamed at the TV, Where are you looking? Yeah. <laughs> We gotta go to these places. We gotta go to the night house. Yeah, we can afford the night house. (laughs) Yeah, nowadays in this market, all you can afford is the damn night house. So, I mean, yeah, the house is great. There's four bedrooms, three baths. There are ghosts. Yeah, (laughs) there is a Babadook in the closet. But you can you handle? I mean, God, you got to make compromises, though, right? It's not perfect. I mean, the house doesn't have sidewalks. It's got a Babadook, but it's it's got the space we're looking for. It's got a backyard. That's SoCal. You know, you just have to make these sort of compromises. Hey, Hollywood living, my man. That's where it goes. You You want to live with the big time. I mean, like we talked about it. I mean, Laura Dern didn't know she was moving that house that had the resonator. Yeah, no. You know, it's a Malibu Beach property. Yeah. And (laughs) is it kind of weird that she's now unfortunately fused together with like her friend and they're both like, yeah, just become. (laughs) I hate to tell you. Is dead. Oh no! All right, <laughs> she's the tense. Okay, we can cut that part. <laughs> we can cut that part out. The tense how, Sorrel. How about um? How about Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon. That yeah. works perfectly. Oh man, yeah. Wouldn't want to be. <laughs> Jesus <Christ. laughs> Oh. <laughs> Come on, Laura. The Academy Academy walks herself into very honest moments of grim jokes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just all rakes and sideshow bobbing. I'm just sideshow oh, bobbing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But, you know, that, that's the real estate market. So yeah. the Howards decide to sell their house, liquidate their assets, and drop out of society, quote, like an easy writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it is i do like, love that how that yeah. movie hangs over this generation mm-hmm. as like the ideal i mean but have you, I, I like easy rider have you no. seen easy rider I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a fan i've seen like i think like a long time ago i was probably like nine or ten so i barely remember it right way too young to watch it probably so yeah the movie opens with them doing a major drug deal they have to cross the country because they're selling coke. Oh my god. They drive through the south. They are clinically harassed by rednecks the entire way through. They, have a t- <laughs> they, they pick up Jack Nicholson, who kind of calls them on it, who is promptly beat to death. They end up in New Orleans, have a horrific acid trip, sell the drugs, turn around, and then are killed in a drive-by shooting by rednecks like uh, this is not the dream 
that, that rules. I love that. Uh, <laughs> why did people watch this and think, oh, this is the life Good for time. me? Good times, man. I'm on a magic carpet, right? Yeah, ste- right. The, the, the power of Steppenwolf is profound. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they only released like two albums or something. I, know, like, I, I mean, I'm a big fan, but that's a, it has a grim ending. It's man. Like, they don't, they like are blown up and like the entire thing. I mean, the big moment of the entire movie is like at the end of the campfire and Peter Fonda's like, we blew it, man. And, you know, what is he referring to? I mean, I've always thought, you know, he's referring to kind of their entire movement. Like, Ooh. I mean, that was like the, always the story too, about like the hippies and stuff like that. Like it was like a six month thing, like mm. the summer of love. It was literally a fucking summer. Like, wow. And like, I, there's like this story of like George Harrison went to San Francisco and he just like ran into all these people who were like hooked on drugs and like, there was like crime and it was just grim. And it was like, like when the hard drugs came in, which was pretty quick, mm-hmm. things got like dark. It was like, it was just this brief moment in the sun, like Hunter Thompson describes in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, like he saw the wave, but the wave crested. Oh yeah, and if you were like, like, yeah, you get pulled in, you might not come back to shore. <laughs> but we've been living in like boomer nostalgia for those four months for the last fucking sixty years, and we're still in it. Yeah, hundred percent. Literally, st- I mean, I, I mean, saw that. Yes, I saw, I saw. I saw Dead and Company on Friday. <laughs> it's so powerful. The, that that summer of love, like the radiation from that summer, still emanates. Yeah, and there were all sorts of problems with that. Clearly, like, I mean, we don't need to get into, like, the fact that, like, driven completely by straight white men and their own needs. I mean, we oh, yeah. into all that in a million ways. Like, I mean, like, I'm really fascinated with, like, you know, I worked at a record store. I'm, like, subscribed to Rolling Stone when I was, like, eight years old. Um, like, the entire world of classic rock. Was it good? Or was it good because the standard bearers at rolling stone magazine and like the white male music critics right declared that this stuff was good and this other stuff was bad like the entire history of rolling stone ignoring artists of color art like oh women, yeah women artists like gay artists disco everything from disco to heavy metal yeah hip-hop was discounted well, it's like even like, yeah, it's even like class stuff. It's like, yeah, it's like heavy metal and like, you know, country probably too, to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah, like yeah. 100%. Well, I mean, that gets even to like that rural purge we talked about two weeks ago, mm. you know? True. And so basically, <laughs> t- there is no right. There no. is no wrong. Be good to people. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we got. Yeah, it's like like look, it's all it's all just an opinion, baby. We we like Albert Brooks. You might not like Albert yeah! Brooks. <laughs> Boy, that was like a digression, wasn't it? Based off of Easy Rider. But so they try to drop out like Easy Rider. They buy out uh, a Winnebago RV. Mm-hmm. Um very, very and they decide they're gonna get remarried again just to kind of celebrate it. But it's all very like desperate. From right. the start, you just kind of feel this like things didn't go exactly the way they wanted to. So it's like, yeah, we're just going to be like little babies about it, run away. Yeah. Well, and it's also just like, it, it does feel like Albert Brooks, like that because he failed, he has to like bring his wife with him in this. Like, it, it does feel like a reverse Titanic where like 
he can't get into the boat, so he's like, he's keeping his wife on the Titanic with him as it sinks. It's yeah. truly, it is truly like disconcerting. When you, you want to tell Julie Haggerty, like, leave, go, like, go find yeah. Meadowlark Lemon. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone yeah. else? Yeah, go go hang with the Harlem Globetrotters. They seem like cool guys. Yeah, they all seem chill. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, hang out with this Globetrotters. I, yeah, they, they're having fun. They always win. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, because Albert Brooks, he's kind of a Washington general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he does not want to believe it. Um, no. I mean, they have this big going away party. I don't know if you caught James L. Brooks is at the party. Oh, I did not see it's that. A, he's in the background, but he's there. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, I love it. And so they hit the road, and they're going to get remarried in Vegas. Um, a hilarious scene where they try and get the honeymoon suite at mm. the casino it goes poorly they yeah. they they try to bribe the guy <laughs> like but albert brooks is not good at like um which we'll get to in actually the next film too he's not very good at like smooth social cues no he's just in his head too much to like roll with the punches and kind of like see what people want yeah, like, yeah. And, and it's something uh, for me that's almost like the aspect of him that's the most relatable because like like him i truly wish you know i would lived in a world where people were like just immediately upfront about their needs and like yeah. what and what you could do to like achieve x thing but uh in this world everything is just profoundly opaque and like unclear to this to, to albert and he just has to Fuddle, like, yeah, just break him, hit rakes until he gets what it's just, it's depressing. It sucks. Yeah. 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 And it, it's very relatable, sadly. I mean, that way we, we are, we are all Aaron Altman's in a Tom Kerning world. Oh. We, will, we will get there moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just got to say really quickly, I just discovered this, the, the Eric Sarnan, the cinematographer, his father is the architect Eero Sarnan who created the St. Louis Gateway Arch. Fascinating. Yeah, which wow. is like a wild, what a, what a, uh, what a, what a father to come from. What a arty family. What a, I bet, I bet, I bet he had a cool bedroom. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, it looked like the, yeah, because they also designed the JFK International Airport. Wow. I mean, yeah. boy. Not a fail son, though. Great, great cinematography no. in these Albert Brooks films. A win, son. <laughs> Wonderful. So they get to the honeymoon suite. It's not what they wanted. Albert Brooks passes out. And then we get to perhaps the centerpiece scene of the film. <laughs> um, two scenes, basically. He wakes up and he finds that Linda's not there. He, right. in his bathrobe, goes down to the casino floor and discovers Linda at the craps table? Yes. Roulette oh, craps? yeah. Roulette. Roulette. It's roulette. At the roulette table. Yeah. And... Uh, quickly oh, discovers that his wife may have issues with gambling. Oh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that $100,000 nest egg is gone. She spent it all and she is in the middle of a truly um, moment of pure chaos. <laughs> yeah, it kind of rules that she gets to have a performance like because like, I feel like a lot of movies tend to make the wife kind of the shrill or the kind of like the straight man to the wacky antics of the bumbling husband. And, but, yeah, yeah, and this like doubles this turns it around because now David has to be the straight man oh, in these man. sequences, but he's not 
equipped to do this. No. At all. <laughs> he sucks too. It's so funny. It's so good. And so he has to go to the casino manager to, we all know, I mean, God, we've, you know, if you've even like heard of casinos, like let alone have gone to a casino, you know that this is a fool's errand of the yeah. highest order. He's going to try and talk the casino manager into getting their money back. Um, <laughs> played excellently by Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall shows up and just knocks it out of the park as the guy trying to deal with this <laughs> neurotic man in a bathrobe yeah. to try and get his $100,000 back that his wife blew at the roulette table. And saying it's like a publicity stunt. It'd be a great story. It's like, no, that's not how it works. And <laughs> Albert Brooks calmly, Gary, Brooks, Gary Marshall even more calmly just digs the hole further for the Howards. So. Uh, it, it is just like, yeah, this movie is just a hundred percent like a series of hole diggings. Yeah, and which leads to a brilliant, hilarious like ending that sums up the yuppies as much as one could possibly sum them up. So they yeah. so we we they go for they go to the Hoover Dam, they have this big fight which is majestically shot on the hoover dam i don't know how they closed it down to like shoot these amazing tracking shots as they're like having this like neurotic battle through the dam which is really it's beautiful it's a beautifully shot it's gorgeous i've been there it looks it's a wonderful it's a cool interesting place to check out but um so they end up deciding they're just gonna stop at the next town (laughs) (laughs) which is safford arizona uh David tries to work at a pharmacy, doesn't go well, gets thoroughly embarrassed at an employment agency. They have no clue how people in a smaller town do anything. They're utterly lost. David becomes a crossing guard. It's so funny. He's taunted by school kids who make fun of his hair. It's (laughs) very good. Having these, like, these, uh, like, three, like, you know, like, let's just conservative estimate, probably 11 years old, each of them. Uh, just just totally and de- belittle him. Simultaneously, Linda takes a job at the Derwina Schnitzel <laughs> as assistant manager, because the manager is some, like, bratty high school kid who's really into the fact they have a TV in their RV. <laughs> oh, yeah, he loves it. He's just... <laughs> and, so all of this is leading up to the kids watching TV in the background as Albert, they've been in town for two weeks or no not even two weeks a few days yeah of, of dropping like, out of society yeah. like far <laughs> less than real life like this is like yeah maybe like yeah, I, a week. I, I do love the wikipedia description here david and linda are living in a trailer park nearly broke working dead-end jobs where they are accountable to brats <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate <laughs> and for these yuppies they come to a very very quick decision Let's get to New York and beg for your job back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, it's so good. And they quickly hit the road as fast as possible. Yep. And we learn that David is rehired with a substantial pay cut, but has better dental care. <laughs> I love, yeah, I think this is like the last uh, Brooks movie. I feel like this um, that has that kind of like that ending, like they give that little like... Um, What's that term for? Like we, I guess, like it's almost like an epilogue. Yeah, and it's also kind of like takes you out of the movie a little bit. Like, yeah. like his next film, which I don't believe we, we we can take a quick look here. Actually, I don't believe Monica Johnson wrote 
um, uh, defending no. your life nah, with him. I don't, I don't and think so. yeah, he he wrote that on his own. And I think that my guess is that she may have pushed a little harder in these like sati- really heavy duty satirical and kind of like take a bite out of you roasting of these people and uh and kind of probably that like that ending it's like but it is like basically compromise be a part of the system but hey you got dental care <laughs> you know it's <laughs> yeah. gotta be you've, the, yeah, the you've, joke. You, you've lost a chunk of your soul but you know what you know what? You got a nice, uh, you got a nice barbecue. But in a sense, yeah, you don't have to live in a t- trailer park with yeah. these rubes, like yeah, living, doing jobs that make you want to kill yourself, and you can forget that they even exist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such a yeah. What a great. It, yeah. It's it's very funny, and I don't think you can like. It's hard to make a movie like this these days, where these two characters are kind of like not. They are relatable, but not relatable. They're not like fully likable they're like they don't really learn anything they what they learn is that they were wrong to try to learn yeah <laughs> honestly and that's a kind of like i think it's great but i like i mean how many movies these days do you see where somebody like actively like <laughs> the only way to learn is by doing the wrong thing yeah like, the wrong like morally or good person kind of thing you know it's like join up with the crowd or you know it, but obviously out by having them do that albert brooks and a, and monica johnson in a larger scale are kind of like critically commenting on it it's so funny because like the movie i was trying to think of like the most the modern movie most comparable to this film in my head is almost like maybe like the the seth rogan rose Byrne film neighbors yeah but even that movie they kind of learned like a a capital l lesson it's still a little bit warmer yeah Yeah. like i think that i mean the obvious i think i think and you know speaking of albert brooks too um you know curb your enthusiasm would be Mm. a excellent current standard bearer of this style and albert brooks is now on curb your enthusiasm oh, that rules. <laughs> i heard somebody compare it to like a sports team like the golden state warriors a few years ago when they had like they had won a couple championships and already they're like the best team in the league and then they added kevin durant to the <laughs> team. it's like okay curb your enthusiasm like has got like stone cold comedy killers tap to bottom it's oh, like yeah. oh what can we do let's bring albert brooks in <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, that's just in, yeah. Let's just maintain this uh, this our lead forever. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, we we need another all star to add to the road. Okay, we got Albert Bro. Oh wow, incredible! I, I need to. I've still only watched like clips of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I need to like do a, a deep dive. I might do that this uh, this month. I might re- do- it, it, it is very. It really. It is a yeah. super super duper funny <laughs> oh yeah like everything i've seen is like incredibly funny so i need it's to... like it has to like if you want that though that kind of like prickly difficult comedy like difficult people mm-hmm. like i think the thing about the judd apatow ones and i think the reason why the judd apatow ones do so well is that they start off prickly but they kind of like soften yeah the end of it like I always thought like train wreck would have been such a better, like I would have like probably not as satisfying to like audiences kind of movie. Mm. If Bill Hader had never taken her back, man, and she had to learn a lesson from that. Like, Oh, I was selfish. Like, and I can't get this guy who was cool back. 
but I can move on with my life and maybe be better going forward. Well, I think the not the problem, but the thing with like Judd Apatow movies is you he you go into those movies and Judd Apatow his thing is he wants you to see a guy who's like or a lady who's like you know. On the surface, he's kind of a schlub or a jerk, but when you get down to know him, he's actually really nice. And good. Yeah, they've got some like yeah, they've got heart, like potential and heart in them. Yeah, yeah, and I think like Albert Brooks like avoids that character. Is it? He's like, nah, this guy's a ding dong deep down. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I was gonna say he's not. I think the next movie we're gonna cover, Defending Your Life, is actually a much softer, more sentimental movie, and I think it's probably for mo- most audiences his most satisfying movie yeah. because of it 100 you know, yeah the, and albert, the albert brooks character does learn something in that movie yeah but although it's like he learns it after like was it like seven times going through earth or whatever like there's like a crazy we'll get into that film but it is, inter- it is actually interesting though too is that like at the end if the earlier albert brooks like with monica johnson probably would have had albert get on that bus with meryl streep they kiss they have this moment and then he would have gone into like this neurotic tangent and Meryl Streep would have gotten a look on her face like Jesus I have to spend my eternity with this guy oh, it would have ended yeah. like that like if it was an earlier Albert Brooks film I think or like yeah honestly yeah that or like he would he would screw up the he would screw up getting onto the bus and he'd just be like floating in nothingness for I think, all yeah I think they dam- <laughs> I think they would damn him a yeah. lot more but like it wouldn't have been as satisfying. So I don't know. No. We'll talk about it next yeah. week. Yeah, like, yeah, because like I'm not against things having. I'm not against hearts. Heart is fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so an interesting fun fact about this Lost in America before we move on to the next film is, um, he originally uh, wanted um, Bill Murray, and uh, which is interesting. I mean, probably would have worked. Mm-hmm. I think he would have played it. <sighs> Bill Murray is kind of like. One of the reasons I like, you know, Bill Murray kind of similar to Jack Nicholson, actually, is this kind of perpetual outsider, mm. a cool outsider, like a dangerous yeah. outsider, whereas Albert Brooks is an kind of an annoying outsider who wants, <laughs> like, Bill Murray doesn't want to be an insider. Albert Brooks's characters desperately want to be an insider, but they are, like, too hung up on their, like, hang-ups. Basically. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, the thing is, is, like, Bill Murray is Bugs and Albert Brooks is Daffy. Like, yeah, yeah, they're both, uh, yeah, they're both outsiders, but only one guy is getting his duck bill blown off. And only one like, of them is in Space Jam. Yeah, and they both have a fun. Like, they both, yeah, they're both dealing with fun. They're in a world of puns. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me that this movie was so much more well-received, and it might be just because it's broader, and I think it's an e- it, despite the cringier moments, I actually think it's an easier watch than modern romance. I prefer modern romance oh interesting. overall uh i just think modern romance is like just makes me laugh i love i love how it feels like a horror film yeah it is definitely like, a horror movie yeah and i think that like he plays with that so well i think this is movie obviously broader in scope mm-hmm. and he's trying to say a bigger thing about like literally you know he's got one of those sweeping titles even lost in america <laughs> for this one you know and i and that is not to say this is not a great movie i think he's you know this man is three for three. Oh yeah thus far and great trilogy re- yeah it, yeah it, and i think he's he it's just outstanding stuff if i mean it's just top of the line comedy top of the line kind of highbrow comedy mm-hmm. frankly and um yeah i mean he's just i think you know he's thinking bigger and i think that this is a good actually lead into because i think um, his counterpart, 
James L. Brooks is actually thinking bigger and broader about America too, but also by kind of like getting even more specific mm. too. Like I think for as big and epic as Terms of Endearment is, it's a very intimate story about mm. a family. Right. Broadcast News is trying for, I think, quite a bit more about saying a, a little bit more of how we live now in the same vein that modern romance to Lost in America is kind of how we live now. Of course, how we live now, we're referring to 1983 and 1984 and 1985, 86. Um, so a little different than, but you know, I think going into it, you know, we were just mentioning that James L. Brooks was thinking a lot of, thinking a lot bigger, thinking a lot about corporate influence on society. And I think Albert Brooks is thinking about it too in Lost in America, but he's, Albert Brooks is like showing people who are desperately trying to join join that selling out join that court whereas james l brooks wants to play with people who are um true artists yeah like yeah and like people um you know one thing uh i appreciate about the film we're going to discuss is that it treats the audience with respect in the sense that like it assumes that the audience is someone who cares about the the issues that are that the film brings up, which I appreciate. I feel like some movies kind of like kind of like uh, skirt that, or they do the thing where like they'll be like, deep down, we all just love that slop. We're all just mm. hogs that love slop, and like this film is like, no, we're not hogs. We can be better. Like, but it like- also, yeah, and it also shows like the magic of what it, if you do it right and yes. do it well. Like, there's two big scenes in this movie of the news going very very well in a very very exciting way mm-hmm. that make you feel like oh this is worth it like coming together like this and William Hurt's reaction to it is a pro you know when he's like it's like great sex you know, it's, like, <laughs> you know, it's great so uh, well, of course we're talking about 1987's broadcast news Albert Brooks or James L. Brooks's follow up to his you know instant classic terms of endearment uh, written directed and produced by James L. Brooks, starring the power trio of William Hurt, Albert Brooks, and Holly Hunter. Uh, we do need to give a big shout out to cinematography by Michael Ballhouse, who we'll talk about a little bit more in depth later on, but he brings a real cinema to this film. Oh, yeah. uh, budgeted at $15 million, uh, box office $67.3 million, so another, um, another hit for uh, JLB. <laughs> um, uh, came out December 16th, 1987. Let's just call it like it is in the peak of Oscar season. Um, female lead, originally written for Deborah Winger, who we worked with on Terms of Endearment, but she became pregnant and was replaced by Holly Hunter. Um, critical consensus on this picture is that it has uh, just a moment here um, 98, 98% rotten tomatoes. damn. Both, both uh, high ratings. <laughs> yes, blockbuster dramatist James L. Brooks delivers with broadcast news, fully entertaining with depth and deft, deep characterization. The film was nominated for, count them, seven Academy Awards. Best film editing, best cinematography, best screenplay, best supporting actor Albert Brooks with his only Academy Award nomination. Uh, best actress Holly Hunter, best actor William Hurt, best picture producer James L. Brooks. Notice no Best Director nomination, Mm. interestingly enough. And, you know, we had talked a little bit about it. This was um, the 60th Academy Awards of 19, 
taking place April 11th, 1988. And this was the year there was some big movies that yeah. dropped this year. Uh, Last Emperor kind of dominated, but in a big way. But I mean, I would say like some like kind of like 1980s standard bearers came out this year because not only did broadcast news come out, Moonstruck came out this year. Good Morning Vietnam came out this year. Yeah. Wall Street came out this year. Uh, the Untouchables came out this year. Fatal like, Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Um, Full Metal Jacket came out this year. Wow. Like, um, if you want to get in the French side of things, Au revoir, l'enfant by Louis Mal came out this year. Lethal Weapon, Robocop, The Witches of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun. Fuck. I mean, <laughs> so the competition was, oh, Predator. <laughs> and our beloved Joe Dante's Inner Space came out this year. Damn. <laughs> I mean, like, like fun movies, fun 1980s movies all around. And, um, you know, I think um, James L. Brooks, unfortunately, because he won so big for Terms of Endearment, this just wasn't going to be his year. He was right. going to get the noms, but it wasn't going to be his year. And I don't begrudge any of the movies. Like Last Emperor is excellent. Oh, yeah. Wall Street is excellent. Uh, Moonstruck is excellent. Mm -hmm. Like, I like all those movies a lot. But I think, like... You know, I'll let you talk about it for a moment here while I check on the baby. <laughs> but, um, oh, no, no uh, worries. Uh, but, I, uh, broadcast news is masterful. Yeah, I think it's just a perfect... It's one of those rare films, I believe, where um, there's nothing sloppy. Like, everything uh, has... There's a clear kind of, like, beginning, middle, and ending. Everything gets tied kind of perfectly. Everything has perfect justifications. The like, broad comedy works. The subtle comedy works. The high yeah, drama works. The like, subtle drama works. The highbrow, the lowbrow, just like everything's just kind of firing on all cylinders. I mean, because there are some real spoofs and goofs in this movie. Yeah! On and top like, of it being a very, like, patient dramedy. Yeah, like, William Hurt does some excellent, like, you know, um, just like silent like act like physical acting he's a tremendous and, physical actor yeah and there's yeah. Even, yeah and like uh and albert brooks like like the 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 the, the, the kind of like the the sillier goofier moments that he has like he has a big moment in this movie that's particularly humorous and we'll that, talk about that in just a moment here but yeah i think that this movie just kind of bounces back and forth between tone and moments so so well, and I, what I want to do with this one, if you haven't seen it, like I think Lost in America was kind of fun to go beat by beat and talk about mm -hmm. the scenes, but I think this one I'm going to kind of, um, I think I'm going to put the spoiler, semi-spoiler watch up on this one. Because I think oh, yeah. it's, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's such a pleasure to watch this one unfold. And it's not like, um, it's not like there's like high, like plotty, drama moments but it's just kind of you are going to want to know like where these people end up and yeah. i think it's fun for so we'll, we'll we'll keep it at broad strokes with that but basically the um plot of the film takes place in a washington dc bureau of um an unnamed national tv network uh we have three dynamic i mean three of the most dynamic most complicated you know, full of depth, three-dimensional characters. I think you could possibly 
come up with uh, to kind of take us on our journey through this. But uh, one of the neat things that James L. Brooks does in this film is that he gives three prologues before we dive into the action, seeing them all as kids and kind of how they behave. And we meet, first up, we meet Tom Grunick, mm-hmm. who is a handsome, charismatic, but maybe not the most book smart mm-hmm. guy in the world who seems to have trouble, but also seems to, you know, things kind of go his way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because it's like uh, you, you get introduced to him, but when he uh, has to tell his father that, you know, hey, I got like D's and C's, like a bad report card, but he's kind of able to effortlessly turn it into kind of like a vict- a winning moment for him where like his like he's able to like just like steer clear like in a world where if I had turned that report card to my parents I'd be I'd be grounded I wouldn't be able to see a single oh, uh, yeah the shame the shame boys would be on high alert oh in this so, moment. yeah oh, a huge shame boy yeah high alert moment <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. we'll we'll meet we'll meet we'll meet the shame boy of this movie momentarily. <laughs> yeah. He's our yeah, our fucking our spirit animal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and Tom the brilliant thing about Tom though is he doesn't even know he's doing it. No. He kind maybe he does, but he's <sighs> so hard to read and he's kind of a weird cipher like blank slate like you kinda Yeah. To me up. he kind of feels like he has this uh, William Hurt like gives him this air of like a not a, a, like a half man wanting to be a man. There's something oddly he's like boyish. missing. He's, yeah. he's like a child at times. Oh yeah. yeah. Even like it toward the end where he's wearing that insane costume he bought at the airport. Um, yeah, I was like, what is happening? Convenience here? store. Um, but he grows up to be William Hurt, this kid. Um, then we meet being bullied at the schoolyard. Precocious Aaron Altman. Oh man, some say precocious, others would probably say a bit of a little, little annoying, jerk. <laughs> a little annoying. annoying. Jerk. Yeah, <laughs> and he's graduating high school at sixteen. He has a perfect valedictorian speech that is both intelligent but also kind of like very chip on his shoulder, blaming everyone around him. And then um, we see him get bullied, and um, his retort to the bullies is, "You'll never make more than how much." <laughs> $20,000 a year or something like that, which yeah. unfortunately, if you made $20,000 a year nowadays, it would, it would be, it wouldn't be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although the kids back then, at that moment, they were like, eh, not bad. It doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. And, you know, and they don't even see it as an insult. No, what they he, don't. What he said to him. Yeah. And then we meet our third character, Jane Craig, who is a, um, precocious as well in a different way um she's got opinions she's not afraid to express them she firmly has an idea of what is right and what is wrong and will not is completely unafraid she has got a moral code yeah from at like age seven (laughs) and um, And she will not break it and it's and it's and it's highly idiosyncratic like a lot of it's like you know to the point that it might be detrimental (laughs) to her social relationships but she does not mind because and but we also know like these aren't bad opinions Mm -mm. that she holds she's just very rigid about them and so when we jump forward and of course aaron altman when we jump forward in time, he's played by Albert Brooks and Jane Craig. When we jump forward in time is played by Holly Hunter. And when we meet them, 
they Aaron and Jane are like best buds. We already can tell though that Aaron has a serious crush on Jane from the from the top that he can't really like he has trouble um, expressing. Um, Jane has to give a speech about at a uh, kind of a what is a news conference type thing? I don't know. Journalism yeah, conference, sort of like some sort of like the state of journalism. And so she gives this kind of like very, very Jane, very rigid speech mm-hmm. about where she like she can't go the way of entertainment. It has to be we have to be very like honest, true. It is just about news. It is just about journalism. And and we already have when uh, in our meetings with Aaron, we we know he has the same moral standing yes about this um and after the speech and the speech goes terribly nobody likes it she shows this part about like squirrels swimming and everyone in the crowd thinks that that she's like this isn't news and they're like no it's fun though yeah or Um, like yeah or like the fucking dominoes or whatever oh yeah it's dominoes falling yeah yeah Yeah, but like it might as well it would be yeah it's like squirrels swimming it's like they can show like clips of you know the Man eats 50 pancakes in 10 seconds and everyone would be cheering. It's like that vibe. Yeah. And so after it's over, it doesn't go well. Nobody really listens to her. But a tall, handsome, strapping, blonde man approaches her and says how great it was. And this is, of course, Tom, who Mm -hmm. is uh, when we initially learn about him. He's kind of like a Midwest sports guy. Oh, yeah. He kind of has like a young Gerald Ford vibes. like. This is like a, yeah, this is a very Gerald Ford-esque. But this is going to be someone who is, (laughs) he is kind of like built in the tradition, in the American, obviously, you got white heteronormative. Oh, yeah. No, he's like, yeah, he's like um, a white heteronormative hunk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but also a little hollow. Yes. Yeah, but she finds, what I love about it is like, so they have their code. They all have their codes and their standards and what they believe. Right. But what is all of them play what is emotionally, they're kind of like repressed, just like give it to me hungers and desires are all like bubbling under the surface. And you can see in their facial expressions because she is deathly attracted to him from the yeah. moment she meets him. But she realizes like, no, I'm in this position. Like I, you know, I can't just like throw myself at this guy, (laughs) you know, and, (laughs) you know, in the same vein that Aaron is completely in love with her. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously when she interacts with him, she's fully little brother, big sister with Aaron, Mm -hmm. like never shows him any, um, I don't think she ever is attracted to him. No. And it's, it's, and then we've got this guy in the middle between them who again is kind of hollow. And we just like, see, just kind of like, and you know, he, we, oh, we, as we get to know Tom, we're like, oh, he easily falls into bed with women. Yeah. He's very, very popular with women because he is nice. Yeah. He's he's charming. And he's charming. And he doesn't seem like, you know, and this gets, of course, later on to when Aaron gives the whole he's the devil speech, yeah. you know? <laughs> which Aaron's right. But is he right? Is it Aaron's opinion? You know, is it because Aaron's insecurities are lifted by being around Tom? 
And it's just the movie builds and builds and builds on these interpersonal relationships while they're all succeeding on a high level in a high stakes job. It's fascinating to watch. Oh yeah. Well, it's interesting seeing the dynamics between like, you know, this hope, hopeless neurotic Aaron, this, um, you know, seemingly incompetent, but you know, in that one way he is just profoundly competent. He Um, is good at what matters in American corporate society. Yeah, he he makes it look good. And that's kind of like, you can skate on that. You can 100% knowing the members of the cabinet does not matter. Oh, but if you can act like you do. And you can wear a suit well. Yeah. (laughs) That is that I love that scene. I feel like that was like the movie in a nutshell where like you get the sense that that when he says uh, when he asks the do you know the numbers of the the members Mm -hmm. of the cabinet and he says yes and like that very like you know commanding tone you get the sense that that works like 75% of the time like he doesn't like that's like no one's gonna question him once he says that and he's not in his head enough to only dwell like the shame boys would about the 25% of the time where he misses. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, he yeah, thinks uh, about the 75% where he wins. Yeah. And well, yeah. And then when like Aaron, uh, when Aaron comes back with the repartee, when he does the whole like, uh, you know, 12, there's actually 10, sir. Yeah. Uh, yeah he, uh, he is like unscathed. Like it's like. He, yeah. Whereas if that, had, if that had happened to Aaron and he had gotten it wrong. Mm-hmm. Aaron would probably go home and drink a half a bottle of oh, wine. And he would, he would have... thing and scream, sing along to music in Spanish, perfect Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he'd listen to like Bosque tapes or something. Now, and he would commit seppuku. He'd like, he'd, and he'd want to talk to Holly Hunter about it for like six hours on the phone. Yeah, Holly Hunter's like, come on, man. I yeah, and sleep. that's why. He, but yeah, like this hunky guy who's not like needy. Needy, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's actually funny. He just wants to go out for like a burger or something like that, you know. And so it's just when you're watching them, but simultaneously, what Brooks is commenting on is kind of Tom Gruning. What he represents is a hollowness in what is important, just in Brooks's field, creativity. But in the news, it's honest journalism, which, of course, you know, this is exactly what we live in now. Mm-hmm. We we live, you know. Aaron Altman is correct in his prophecy. Yeah, that we, that we all all that matters are the Tom Grunings. Aaron yeah. Altman's never getting on television in 2021. No, well, it's it's like it's fake Aaron Altman's. It's like people that can oh, yeah. like yeah, like because like you have your like because I feel like but even they're Tom Grunings. Even those people, like, yeah, oh, they, they, they are. may have gone to the right schools, but they remain Tom Grunings mm, forever. A Tom Grunick, yeah. No matter how much they try not to, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And the Jane Craigs have only gotten crazier and more credentialed and more um, intense. Yeah. As they realize they're like, you know, they have to, there's a, yeah, there's only so much you can do as a Jane when you're surrounded by Tom's. Like, but, it's... well, they're, <laughs> but they're also putting, and I'm not gendering this actually, because I think men and women are, can all be Jane Craigs. Um, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I got you. Just like men and women can all be Tom's. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. There's definitely, yeah. All sorts but of Tom's. I out want there. to, um, but I think that where Jane's energy is being put into being morally sound, the Janes of today, their energy are being put into being careerists. 
mm-hmm. and getting the, you know, and keeping the job. It's, you know, and doing whatever they can. I mean, yeah, you know, this even goes back to one of our other favorites, the insider, you know, Lowell Bergman left, you know. Yeah, that is, it's, that's so funny because it has become like we have shifted from being a society that has, or at least like feigned standards, like a broadcast news-esque society. Well, they just- want, yeah, I mean, people always talk like, where's our Edward R. Murrows? Where's our Walter Cronkites? Well, they fucking left you, or died. You claim that they were boring and you brought in Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, and everything is so, and I think like to your point too, like in the terms of like the Jane Craig's of the world are looking out for themselves. Like everything has just become so atomized. There's yeah. no sense of community or no sense of like trying well, to strive for some greater thing. And I think that's why the newsroom felt like such an empty gesture because it was already lost. Yeah. And so like Jeff newsroom, is trying to be Aaron Altman and Jane Craig combined. And it just, seems, it just seems like a lost cause and it's phony. And it feels like it's like, man, remember this? But it's like, it's too late, my man. No, no, yeah. Bro- yeah, broadcast news. Fucking, that is like, the, when you bring up newsroom, it is kind of incredible how broadcast news happens to like, is able to like get these sort of points across without feeling didactic or pedantic or, or well, just like, annoying. And also that competency does not also mean arrogance. Like, and that gets us to the two scenes of incredible competence. The first one where they're trying to get that tape done. Holly Hunter wants a last minute edit. And yeah. William Hurt's watching it. That's the best part. Oh, William the, Hurt watching it shows how good it is. It's what they're comedic doing. Michael Mann. It rules. And the, Joan Cusack's racing around the office in like a very, like, <laughs> frankly, like, fucking comedic scene of her, like, jumping and diving under things to try and yeah. get them to <laughs> Almost fucking dropkicks like, a, a toddler yeah and albert brooks <laughs> is like rewriting it in the last minute doing narration and it's like all like piling on and you're seeing it through williams william hurt's eyes of being like oh my god this is like so incredible and so exciting to be around yeah so then so there's that scene which you're just like wow you see it through his eyes but then the scene where william hurt has to, to get his first job anchoring the news and it's for a story that requires a lot of technical depth and detail and they're using the split diopters that like brian de palma uses to the two split focus shots so you can see holly hunter's face speaking into a mic and see william hurt um on set Mm -hmm. like doing the news so she is doing a voiceover narration of what william hurt should be asking and they're cutting between all the correspondence and all the clips and all the people in the camera crew but then to get the um the actual technical details because there's only one guy in the office who's smart enough and has all the technical details down. Yeah. It's Albert Brooks who's upset that he didn't get the job of doing the reporting anyway. So he's at home on the phone with Holly Hunter calling in tips and details to send over to William Hurt, who's perfectly, you know, the telegenic newsman, pulling it off completely. Yeah. Everyone is playing to the height of their game and intelligence in this sequence everyone is bringing to the table why they have these high level jobs yeah to begin with and it's fucking thrilling it rules weirdly thrilling yeah like you know in the same way that like you know and the insider watching al pacino work his magic Mm -hmm. like as bergman you know or any man film really like the competency porn is pretty pornographic (laughs) you know and you're it's exciting to watch because and then 
but all these people are dealing with all these emotions because it's a character thing as well because albert brooks respects the news and the job so much despite the fact that he doesn't respect tom at all Mm -hmm. but he wants to help because it helps holly hunter which makes him look good and it's all of these building block pieces on what they're all doing with tom at kind of the center of it succeeding off of all of it despite the fact he has doesn't really have any ulterior motives he's the only one without ulterior motives yeah he's just he's a pure he's a pure as a babe a newborn babe and i think the thing too is that james o brooks like he's got his start right at cbs like he's been in this he was in this world and absolutely and that, that layer of authenticity like you get a sense uh, from this film that not only does the director n- intimately know this world, but he has like a deep reverence for uh, this this art when it's done properly. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, you even have like uh, they even have like a news guy uh, in a lead, like in a kind of in a supporting performer, like Peter Hacks, right? I think he was like an, a news anchor or something. And they have. Um... You know, the Jane Craig is based on a journalist producer named Susan Zarinsky, who Ooh. was a technical advisor and associate producer on the movie and yeah. was like on set the entire time. And, and so like having that level of, uh, yeah, just having that level of know-how in the in, 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 and ins and outs, like it really just adds to the film. Yeah. And it just, there's just this life to it all. And it's like, and it just, it's so rich and mm-hmm. the characters are so well-formed and yeah. just, they do things you love and they do things you hate. Yeah. All, and it's- simultaneously. And, but like at the end of that scene, where we were just describing William Hurt comes up and that was like my joke. It's like, all right, sex, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's so jazzed about how well it went. And they're all kind of like Holly Hunter's like trying to hold back about how well it went. And they're all just kind of like feeling themselves. Like, man, that is like why we do this thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like running a good play in basketball or something. It's just like, you're just feeling like, and you can feel it like it's such a great to have that come down scene and the way, you know, going back to the way Ballhouse shoots it. I mean, he shoots it like a thriller. Yeah. 100%. You know, and, you know, we know he's um, uh, Ray, the Fassbinder, the German director. Oh, he worked with him quite a bit throughout okay. most of those big films. And Fassbinder, of course, you know, dead before 40 had made 50 features and was like a total like the ultimate level of speed freak lunatic. Genius. Um, and then, but Ballhouse went on and worked with uh, Scorsese. Mm. He did a ton of Scorsese movies. He did, um, I mean, Goodfellas is probably yeah. the uh, most noteworthy one. But I mean, first one he did with uh, Scorsese was uh, After Hours, uh, Last oh, Temptation a- of Christ, yep. you know, into Age of Innocence, all the way to The Departed. Uh, he also uh, worked extensively with Mike Nichols. Oh, wow. As well. And he okay. did Bram Stoker's Dracula, one of the beautiful film i mean after uh, hours is just exceptionally shot as well that's like a that's yeah. such an underrated uh scorsese joint yeah yeah and I, so i mean i think like you know that's something bringing in giving it this real cinematic element to this really grounded story helps out quite a bit and the way it's cut together by richard marx is important too because yeah. the editing is top of the line oh as yeah well and um but yeah so all of this kind of builds up and we're, you know the romantic interludes and also the work stuff because we get a we get the where are they going to end up you know Al, aaron altman and tom both have dreams of being 
the big anchor. Jane wants to produce on the big show. And then we're also introduced to another character, the uncredited but brilliant Jack Nicholson, as he is the Peter Jennings, Dan Rather kind of character who is the who is the big man mm. at the at the station and carries himself like that. And his approval matters to all of them. So it's like every like he calls Jane at one point is like great great piece and you know and he wants to meet tom almost immediately and he doesn't give aaron the time of day oh not at all yeah no aaron's left and while like yeah there he obviously has people like in on his like side but the higher ups like you know yeah yeah, they just do not like yeah because he didn't you know, and it turns out maybe the higher ups are, are unfortunately onto something. Unfortunately, to like because Aaron's flaws, for as smart as he is, for as clever as he is, for like, you know, he's a, you know, he's got a lot of positive qualities. Yeah. Um, but I mean the, the kind of mysterious thing known as likability <laughs> yeah. does not help. He's smart. He has his facts down. He's good at his job but he isn't he doesn't have it the that it factor i guess what you're talking about and it all comes to play so aaron gets the opportunity to do a sunday anchor gig Mm -hmm. there's a correspondence dinner everybody wants to go to that so they're kind of out of their regular their regular folks so aaron gets a chance he gets coached up by tom which in a brilliant scene where tom kind of shows what he knows about how to like do this, like straighten your suit. How are you sitting? What's your best side? Like Tom note gets all of the aesthetics. Yeah. And he might not know like where Libya is. No, but <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks Gaddafi is a, a fanciful fruit snack. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a terrific juice. Um, <laughs> but he, he gets it. He gets what James O. Brooks, I think, thinks this is wrong. Aaron Altman certainly thinks this is wrong. And Jane Craig thinks this is wrong. He gets what is actually important to this job. It does not matter how many books you have read. It does not matter what kind of education you have. It does not matter even if you're doing it, quote unquote, the right way. Yep. You look good on camera. Can you deliver it in a comforting way that the people can eat up, basically? God, yeah. <laughs> and Aaron gives it a go. He gives it a college try, but um, in pr- probably the silliest scene, but also heartbreaking scene of the movie. <sighs> so uh, crushing. <laughs> he, he goes and he has a flop sweat, as I believe it's called, where he just is dripping sweat on yeah. camera. His shirt completely soaks through. It's, and you feel for him because you uh. know this is how important this is to the character. And he's, he blows it. Yeah, he blows it, and it's it hurts. It hurts to see because you know Aaron's not meant for it. He can't. And we had just seen two, like two or three scenes earlier. That scene we were just describing with Tom, like, yes, he received like infinite coaching from people who know more than him. Yeah, but he pulls it off with ease. Yeah, he's like cool and calm, and you could see it. Like William Hurt has the look to like you, you could see him on TV. Yeah. Oh, he, he looks wasn't a big actor. You see him doing that. Yeah, he's photogenic. He's very like yeah. And, and uh, it's it's a it's interesting too because I feel like the movie does a good job of like this guy. You can he could either 
he could either be the person who gives like he he can give news like he's not mm-hmm. just like a dude that would like you know uh like he he can deliver like news just as well as he would deliver slop yeah like there is like potential for like you know he could he could do good <laughs> he, yeah yeah and, and but he's such an empty yeah you know, he's attractive but it's like man does does he know what he's doing is he a sociopath i mean there's like kind of a little bit weirdly yeah like because there are times and william hurt really plays it so freaking well where you're like does he know more than he's leading on is he playing dumb to kind of like get his way you know or is he just the sweet natured kind of goober who <laughs> <So>, like falls <laughs> back asswards into massive success you know it's uh, and yeah. you know and so kind of it all builds in this really beautiful way the drama between them is unforced mm-hmm. and everything kind of comes to head to this moment of news morality mm-hmm. i guess where we find out william hurt <sighs> did something that perhaps helps with the emotionality of a piece, but is perhaps not the most ethical right. thing in the world. And how, because I have a feeling this happens a million times a day across news, across all of the United States today, mm-hmm. what he does, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of the entertainmentizing of news. And, you know, this gets to even like where we are today, where it's like, whether you're a Rachel Maddow person or a Tucker Carlson person or, a, you know, yeah, you get all of your news from John Oliver or Trevor yeah. Noah. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, regardless of what side you're on, I think I personally find it a bit grim. Yeah, um, it's totally soul crushing. It might be boring what the Aaron Altmans of the world do, but it, it's just presenting things and letting you decide. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing is, is it takes a lot of work to be an Aaron Altman, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And a thankless but, work. Yeah. Thankless a lot of, work. Oh, totally thankless. And I think like, you know, people at some point realized, Oh, if you have a Tom, you can, you know, dress up that slop like news. You and, can, you could, and you could sell slop like food. On commercial yeah. breaks, it's all just—it's all slop, man. We live yeah, in a slop. We live in—we live in the world of slop. We live in slop world. <laughs> and Aaron Altman might not get the girl, but he does get his soul. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, totally. And I don't know. You know, we're not. But I think we can. It. It. This movie presents, and I think it, this movie remains timely. It remains entertaining. I don't think he doesn't feel like. The moral codes of the movie, like, you know, we were just joking about Animal House being a little cringy in terms of the politics of it or whatever. But right. I think this movie, like, stands pretty well. Yeah. As something you can watch and say, like, you know, nobody's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of off-color stuff in it. It just kind of, these are, these remain to me at least. I mean, maybe it's not the most diverse movie in the world, but other than that, these remain really you know, tried and true characters to me. I think that's why it affected you and I mm-hmm. so much. And it's like one we, we, we love dearly. And, you know, I think it's the, it's my favorite movie out of the group we've watched. I, thus far. 
yeah, and I think it is my favorite. Yeah, I, yeah, it is. It's one hundred percent my favorite movie. Who am I kidding? Like, I put this, this on my fucking list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is this is a movie I return to even before we were doing the show on a yearly basis. I have a feeling the one of the ones we're going to do next week, I put on that group too. In oh yeah, defending your life. I think I would put in that group as well. Mm. This is an incredibly satisfying movie, and you know, it comes down to these characters, and it comes down to these three actors who are all so good so well cast they're all three of their academy award nominations highly deserving um for differing ways i mean william hurt kind of at the peak of his powers going Mm -hmm. into this movie i mean i I, i'm a a fan of what i mean like but if you look at what he had done before this i mean altered states body heat the big chill he won best actor in 1985 for kiss of the spider woman he was nominated again in 1986 for Children of a Lesser God, nominated again in 1987 for Broadcast News. His run from 1980 to about 1990, he's on fire. It It's nuts how, like, and it's funny because, like, um, I never knew William Hurt as a hunk. I think the first time I saw him in a movie was, like, AI, where he plays, like, the scientist, like the... AI or History of Violence, probably. Oh, History of Violence, of course, yeah. And where he he's... was nominated for History of Violence as yeah. well. Yeah, which is, like, uh, very, like, it's kind of, he's great in it, too. Like, it's funny, because, like, you know, he's only in the movie for, like, maybe five minutes, ten minutes stops, but it's, like, I think it's a deserved, he's great in his, like, yeah. one scene. Yeah, but... I mean, I think a really interesting actor. Definitely kind of an 80s actor. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of hits, like, he can play an 80s guy, the 1980s guy. Yeah, really, like, really well. It's like him and Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah, and he's like a more sensitive version. I mean, Michael Douglas is obviously um, the king of the king of the cucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he's the, the, he is definitely in the land. He's a he's the he's the he's the patron saint of cucks. I mean, yeah. Sleazy, sweaty, slick back hair guys who are cheating on their wife and realize <laughs> how bad of a thing that is. Or, I mean. The funniest one is like that movie Disclosure, which came out in the early '90s, where he gets sexually harassed by Demi Moore. I mean, <laughs> what world? Bravo, bravo! What, what that world? Rules, that <laughs> rules. What? Uh, what opposite reality is this? Only, this one? O- only Michael Douglas. There's no <laughs> other actor who could play that guy. You know. And I mean, this very same year, he did Fatal Attraction, probably defining his role of the. Um, rich suburban guy who gets caught up with a mean lady <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just <laughs> just put up oh, i mean god he what a year for michael douglas he did wall street and fatal attraction man yeah he crushed in 87 good year good good yeah. year for the, good the year for the big dog got yeah. the oscar too yeah he beat yeah. he beat william hurt yeah, and- um but i mean william hurt much like james l brooks probably was never gonna win because um yeah, he had, you know, James L. Brooks blew it on, or didn't blow it, but like in terms of, of uh, endearment. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking. So Sean Connery won for best act, supporting actor for The Untouchables, uh, and he's great. I mean, yeah. I love The Untouchables. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Our, our, one of our faves, Brian De Palma. Yeah. Um, and probably a kind of a career award, frankly. Oh, oh yeah, totally. that's like his. Um, that's like his departed. But I mean, and I haven't seen. I've never seen Street Smart with Morgan Freeman. Mm. Sounds interesting. I've never seen Cry Freedom with Denzel Washington, early Denzel Washington um, nom. Uh, Vincent Gardenia is really good in Moonstruck as yeah. Cher's dad. Um, but 
How good is Albert Brooks in broadcast news? It's his best performance. I think it's like it's his best performance. I and, it, and it's also like yeah. the best character because I think it's like the character. Um, they sand him down a little bit without sacrificing the integrity of like the typical Albert Brooks character. Like he he is like I'd say on a whole he's a little more palatable than your modern romances are lost in America. But yeah. there's still like you still see the flaws and like there there's like this brave. There's something kind of like um, the way that Albert Brooks is willing to put himself out there as the like kind of an unlikable guy at points. Uh, he's, he's playing the, he is playing the Albert Brooks character, but he's playing him in more of a real world yeah. kind of way. Yeah, it's not just like yeah, it's not just like uh, as caustic as possible for comedic. He ain't not done purposes. in a satir. He's not a satirical character. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's 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 absolutely terrific in this movie. But I, I gotta say, I think the heart and soul of this movie belongs to Holly Hunter. Oh yeah, Jane Craig, who is you know is the lead character. You know, it's funny she got third billing, but she is the lead character of this. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. She lead like character. God, she she had like it was like this is like her first role after. Uh, Raising Arizona, uh, yeah, right? It kind of broke, and you know, to you know, and she'd win the Oscar for um, piano. The piano. A few years later, Cher, of course, took it this year for Moonstruck. Yeah, uh, and you know, a competitive year. I mean, Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction was in the mix as well as was um, you know Meryl Streep for Ironweed, a movie we did not cover. So no, yeah, like what are the could have been better than Sophie's Choice? <laughs> Who the hell's to know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> never know. <laughs> watching it sorry <laughs> someday maybe if maybe, maybe if we do nicholson yeah yeah, could be yeah. A preview. although like nicholson's another one like merrill where it's like you know ironweed might get lost in the weeds yeah i mean ironweed could be could be as good as broadcast news for all we know i don't know yeah but, um but yeah i mean competitive year but i mean she's just she's so complete this mm-hmm. character this character in particular is you know she's so good at her job but kind of a mess as a social person but trying her best she's you you want her to win you want her to succeed you're just with her and you know and and all this kind of leads up and it's just it's it's a terrific performance and you you just wish just wish there were more movies like this yeah well and it's like and it feels weirdly like in a like there aren't a lot of movies like this. Well it's like one of those rare movies for me where I think it succeeds is something that feels real. And yeah. something that is a movie simultaneously, like it yep. does that perfect Great balancing. Way to put it. Yeah, where it's like it's this perfect balancing act where like uh, everything feels believable, but it has these great movie, like yeah, like where it's like oh, I'm watching a film, like I yeah. don't know, yeah, yeah, love it. it's still a movie, but you're you're so invested with the characters, and it just feel like you're watching three very real people move yeah. through their life yeah they're they've got an extraordinary job but otherwise other than that they they feel like real people who you'd meet you know and mm-hmm. you can relate to and but it's it is it remains a movie though too yeah all the way up to its conclusion which we're not going to tell you what happens subtle but satisfying though mm-hmm. it, it concludes correctly not with a bang but with a kind of a period in a way or even ellipses yeah <laughs> and uh and it's just it's a lovely movie i use the word lovely i'm a dad yeah, yeah it's lovely <laughs> it is like it's a lovely and it's like it's a movie where like it's um it's like uh, very i can watch this with my parents 
and it doesn't feel like uncomfortable. Like it's like very like there's like it it deals with these very mature topics without it being like just like and I'm never, not against never seedy. I mean, yeah, no, not at love, all. We we love the perverted oh, bad boys, the yeah. Brian De Palmas, the Paul Verhovens of the world. But um, um, but I was looking at the poster for this, and the tagline is "It's the story of their lives." <laughs> it's like what shit. a great tagline, man. They crushed Good tagline. it. Yeah, <laughs> Every, everything and just, worked. And it's the covers, the posters, just the three of them smiling together. And uh, I, you want to hang with them. It's just like it's so it's so this movie is so satisfying. And yeah, could highest highest Academy Academy recommendation. Yeah, it's like it might. I'd have to go through the catalog of films we've gone through, but it might be the best film. Uh, it, although we have like Godfather and some yeah. other ones. Yeah, we <laughs> had yeah, Pacino, Pacino, some Pacino classics. Yeah, Dog Day, Dog Day Afternoons a pretty good movie. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoons <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, that's like we kind of like yeah. I mean, like, in the same vein, I would put this like. I think this is more, even more satisfying. It's, well, I don't know, but I mean, like, you put it with that bash with, like, Midnight Run or Defending Your Life. Yeah. Just, like, these might be, like, the, like, might not be, like, the loftiest of, like, mm-hmm. grand statements. Oh, yeah, movies, no, yeah. It's like, but yeah. These are, like, movies you can, yeah, like you said about throwing them all at your folks or whatever. It's just, like, you know, everybody can watch them. We have a nice time. Mm-hmm. We feel good. We're emotionally up and down. Yeah. It's a good, like, you laugh. You kind of, you might even tear up a little bit. You know, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, it's the rare movie where I truly think there's something for any, everyone. Well, I, yeah. This is where, like, the middle brow gets kind of a bad rap. Because, yes, these kind of mm. go right down the plate. But, yeah, I think, like, these, these go down smooth. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes that's a good thing. None of these movies point you in a like super hard like slap you across the face direction of like you know man boy like you know it's like like some of those message movies or whatever yeah. um do you know these movies all have things to say about life and the united states well, and I, that kind of thing but it, yeah but i well and i think it's like the rare like i think like middlebrow is used so caustically nowadays i think people need to realize that like middlebrow like, I think this is like a middle brow film in the sense that, like, you know, your local mailman's going to like it. I don't know why I'm using a mailman as an example. Well, but like, any, like, your dad's going to like it. But then also, I think, like, you know, someone who likes Andre Rublev would appreciate this movie. Yeah, I think it's there. It's not difficult. No. You get what's going on. Yeah. You're in it. These are these are recognizable human beings. There's mm-hmm. no, um, doesn't use any, like, artsy, like, camera distancing yeah. tools to make you kind of like it's not chilly none of them yeah. are chill. they're warm movies oh yeah no we're not watching barry linden yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean i mean you all heard my top 25 of all time of course i like live in that zone oh, same I, here. but i love those too yeah but i think like have i seen broadcast news more than i've seen barry linden yeah at this point <laughs> so because you know you throw on broadcast news and you have a nice two hours and 10 minutes and sometimes you know god it's a good feeling yeah take a, take a look at it um but yeah i mean that was these guys are you know kind of sum up this week these guys are hitting it fire on all cylinders yeah they're really making it happen and i know next week for one of them we are reaching a more difficult film oh no that one that didn't go as well yeah. and i've never seen it so i'm not gonna uh, sight unseen i can't 
uh, yeah. <laughs> don't want to cast judgment. Maybe but, it's a secret success. We'll find out. Yeah, but I mean, in the meantime, between this film, that filmmaker is involved in probably the most successful thing yeah. that they've ever that almost anyone could be involved in. <laughs> Frankly, you know, James O. Brooks is involved in the creation of The Simpsons between Broadcast News and his next film, 1994's I'll Do Anything. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, Simpsons to this day remains a um, arguably only Saturday Night Live challenges it in its cultural comedic supremacy. Yeah. And overall overreaching like arc of being around for who knows and, well, some and people like the, would say maybe too long but well, oh, totally. well like in the ubiquity i think like simpsons like looms larger over the culture than snl i would say just because of its like you'll go to like uruguay or yeah. korea or like where very kids and i'm bart simpson who the hell are you t-shirts oh yeah totally like eat like my, it, eat my shorts man yeah and I don't think, uh, I mean, maybe SNL has some of that cultural cachet in other places, but yeah, like, I think like, it's like Simpsons and Garfield, man. Well, Those I mean, are like, like the two, like. I mean, I'm like getting older and I remember talking to friends about the first two seasons of The Simpsons when I was like in third grade, when it first wow. came on. I was in third, like second or third grade when it first came on. And now that's quite a while ago. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. You get the sense at this point that the Simpsons is like it's it's just gonna be here forever. It's just yeah, yeah they'll yeah. get they'll get other actors. They'll yeah, that well, IP I mean, will live. Just like just like my beloved Dead and Company. Yeah, the music keeps going, my man. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be like a season. Uh, I saw like a tweet like um a while ago. I cannot. I think it's like the the the, the account is Viperwave, but um. They made a tweet about, uh, like, there's going to be, like, a season 68 episode of The Simpsons where Homer uh, remembers his childhood as a TikToker. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. going to happen, and then I'm going to, like, I'm going to shrivel into dust as if I, I sip from the wrong goblet. Like, I'll yeah. see that, and that'll be the thing that kills me. <laughs> yeah, he chose poorly as the knight in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Which, uh... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, I think th- th- these are terrific movies, these ones that we watched this week. You check them out yep. if you haven't seen them. Uh, next week, we head into the 1990s with our men of the 70s and 80s. How do they survive the 1990s as they are getting a little bit older and a little yep. bit more in establishment? <laughs> uh, we'll be taking a look at I'll Do Anything uh, from James L. Brooks and Defending Your Life returns to the podcast for the first Ooh. time since... Losing to Death Becomes Her in the first round of the Meryl Streep season. Mm, Will we regret that choice? Who knows? We are looking at it, though, from a far more Brooksian point of view. But I'm excited to take a look at both those. Um, Never seen I'll Do Anything. You know, I've... I think I've watched Defending Your Life twice this year already. So, oh yeah, um, same. I had watched it recently, actually, with my, when my family visited. I was like, let's watch yeah, this movie. But I, uh, I'm excited to dive in. I got the new Criterion edition of it, so I can look at some of those special features. Maybe, gle- maybe glean some uh, some new points. Uh, but those we're taking a look at next week. I believe um, both are available via your uh, streaming service rental. Of yeah. choice, if you're a iTunes gal or a Voodoo man or a Amazon Prime <laughs> a kind t- of, uh, you know, a, a to be freak, gender neutral, 
Yeah. Tubi freak. <laughs> you know? You're a real Tubi freak. You're just um, you're in that sewer. <laughs> looking whatever, whatever way, whatever way you're living your life, you can yeah. enjoy uh, a, ca- and, a canopy kid. You know, enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it to the best of your, you know, we, yeah. we're supportive of whatever service you use. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except uh, if you're a peacock, you're like, get the fuck out of here. If you, if you yeah, want to get the, no, no, no. no. Get I'm the- even, I'm even a subscriber to peacock. Nah, it's okay. Yeah. I, Halloween, I had to watch Halloween kills. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. But yeah. So we'll be doing I'll do anything and defending your life next week. Uh, fun times overall. Check out these two movies we watched this week. Bye-bye. Later.